0: All right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. It truly is great to see everybody here this morning, missing my family. We had a little one that was not feeling well this morning, so my wife and uh, the rest of my crew is just hanging back on the home front today, so... Uh, keep Olivia specifically in your prayers that she'd feel better. But man, it is it is just great to worship the Lord. Uh, every, we're three weeks in, and uh, I'm I'm sure the the newness and the awe of it all will I'm sure fade away a little bit. But I sure hope it doesn't. Um, I, I sure hope that we can keep the excitement of of all that it is for us to have a roof over our heads, and how about some of these padded chairs, huh? Uh, they're, they're not the, the blue plastic chairs of Warren Hills Elementary School, and we're all thankful for that. Uh, they're, they're not pews, but they, they are uh, certainly padded and uh, hopefully comfortable for you all, but uh, we're thankful for God's provision and just allowing us to have a comfort and convenience of worshiping the Lord. Uh, in this church building, uh, we, we, we kind of hit the pause button last week. If you'll remember with me, uh, we had started a, a sermon entitled Making Sense of Christian Liberty. And uh, just by way of trying to stay on track with time and, and the, the schedule of events for the morning, we just hit a strategic pause as we made our way through uh, really just, just the first point, which was true Christian liberty uh, will always pursue the building up of others. That's where we, uh, we paused. If you'll remember back with me, maybe you jotted it down. Uh, the big idea of the message on Christian liberty was because God desires his church to be unified around the gospel. Unified around the gospel and, and nothing else. Not conformity around external standards or similarities that, that we could hang our hat on and all give a nod of agreement to. Those things are okay sometimes, but it's not the primary basis upon which our Christian liberty, our fellowship, and our engagement with one another as the local church is built upon. It's the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it was based around the unification of the gospel that believers should rightly understand and practice Christian liberty in the milieu of life. In the everyday circumstances and environment of life, we should be looking for and proactively pursuing areas of unity in the midst of diversity. So the fact of the matter is, we're not all going to agree about the preferences of the areas that are gray in Scripture. Areas that the Lord has not spoken and says, thus says the Lord. We have the Holy Spirit, we have the Word of God, and we have the broader body of Christ to help guide us and unify ourselves. In the midst of that diversity, we absolutely can and should be a unified church. And the gospel is what we are unified around. So the first point, again, that we were considering around Christian liberty is that, again, Christian liberty will always pursue the building up of others. As we continue to work our way through this series on our church covenant, as we consider covenant membership, We know that the church is not a building. When we gather, it's not just vain repetition, as I even alluded to earlier. It's not just us coming and attending church and hearing a sermon and singing some songs that we enjoy. That is not church. Those things are certainly good things, but that does not make up the church. The church is what? People. It is a body That the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has fitly joined together. And so, as we work our way through this church covenant, the goal and the aim would be for us to understand our place, understand our role, understand our responsibility in this thing that we call covenant membership. Friends, the day that we live in is challenging. People are looking for community. People are looking for relationship. People are looking for a place to belong and call home. Many people, unfortunately, are looking for that in all the wrong places. They're finding outlets that, quite frankly, don't fill the void that God has placed in our heart that the church in a relationship with Jesus Christ can only feel. And so it is in our understanding of covenant membership that we just want to raise the bar, if you will, in our understanding of what we are doing here on Sunday morning and what we are doing really every part of the day. Because church isn't just about Sunday or Wednesday or whatever day we meet. It's about Monday through Sunday. It's about everyday life. It's about interactions that we have opportunities to come alongside of each other and to help each other, to bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ to, uh, to exercise all those one-anothering passages that are throughout the New Testament. That is what it looks like to be a part of an active body, an active church. And so, friends, I hope that we can move beyond that base understanding of just being a part of a church or attending church and see your place and what God has for you in your life as a result of rightly relating to God and his church in a biblical way. So again, we focused our introductory sermon last week on verse number 24 of 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, You'll remember that Paul says, let no one seek his own good, but rather seek the good of his neighbor. So when we engage, when we covenant together in the context of the body of Christ, it should never be about our own good, but rather we should be always looking for opportunities to seek the good of our neighbor, our brothers and sisters in Christ. So, what was Paul's takeaway on that first point? True Christian liberty will always pursue the building up of others. His takeaway for us in this first section of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 10, was for us to be actively and proactively looking for opportunities to use our liberty for what purpose and what end? To build others up. In some circumstances, of life that may mean what? It may mean that we exercise our liberty. It may mean that we um, joyfully in, in and in a spirit of gratefulness and thankfulness, as Romans 14 alluded to, that we can exercise our liberty without offense against our conscience or putting up a stumbling block to our neighbor. But in some cases, that may also mean limiting our liberty for the sake of unity and for the sake of building up the church, the body of Christ. But in all circumstances, whether we exercise or whether we limit the liberty that God has rightfully given to us in Christ and in grace, no matter what the circumstances are, we are to be joyfully looking to build others up. And this is the heart of Christian liberty, that there's, there's a joy, there is a, there's a desire, there's a pursuit of one another in the gospel, in the Lord, to simply rightly relate to one another so that God can be most glorified in our midst and in the community that God has placed us. And when we all collectively engage with one another, and pursue one another. And as Pastor Andy preached a number of weeks ago out of Romans chapter number 12, you'll remember that we are to outdo one another. There's this competitive spirit that should be about our church and just trying to have a a Holy Spirit-led, supernatural move of grace-enabled deference in our church. That we are willing at any time, in any place, in any way to lay down or to pick up For the sake of the body. So that it can be built up in love, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter number 4. So true Christian liberty will always pursue the building up of others. Second point that we'll look at is this. True Christian liberty will always promote the glory of God above all. True Christian liberty will always promote the glory of God above all. Let's look at verse number 31 and 32. We alluded to these and just slightly introduced them last week, so we're going to dive into this this a bit more this morning. Verse number 31, Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, he says to do all to the glory of God. Goes on and says, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. So Paul summarizes the heart of Christian liberty down to one fundamental reality. And it's this, the glory of God, right? This is one of the solas of the Reformation, right? Soli de gloria. This is the pillar that we build our church upon that everything we do, whether we eat or drink as Christ followers, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are to do it all for the glory of God. Pastor Dave, this morning, in his pastoral prayer, gave testimony to that desire that there would be no credit ever in anything that that is accomplished in this church, through this church, and in the surrounding community that we would never individually or corporately even as a church get any credit. But it all goes back to what? God. And whom? The Lord. Right? So ultimately, that is our desire. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works. For what purpose and what end? To glorify your father, which is in heaven. We've talked about the glory of God a lot over the last few years. I think it's something that we have recalibrated the culture of our church back to. Not that we ever lost it but that we wanted a a heightened sense of that reality by God's grace in our church. I hope that we never get tired of hearing about the glory of God, right? And if you remember about the glory of God, this was the magnificence. This was the glory, the renown that is due to him because of his great acts that he's accomplished in this world. We sang about that in the new doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God, all creatures here below. God is creator of all things. Amen. He alone is due that glory because he has spoke, he has breathed out, and it has been done as he has pleased. And this is the glory that is due him. Certainly his great acts and his great accomplishments involve sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to come and humbly take on flesh. God taking on flesh, incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, living, breathing, his person and his work being recorded in the pages of scripture so that we know that Jesus Christ was real. He did come to this earth. He did go to a cross. He did shed his blood. He did give his life as a final payment for our sin as he declared, it is finished on that cross. And they took him. To a tomb. In accordance with the scripture, he rose again on the third day. Amen? Amen. This is the gospel that we believe. We serve a great God. We sung of that reality as well this morning, did we not? Oh, great God. Beautiful song, beautiful modern hymn that we're so thankful for the rich text that that song gives our hearts and our focus to those beautiful realities of what God has done. But friends, do you need to remind yourself of these realities sometimes? Does God need to have a more prominent place? Have you fallen into the trap of maybe stealing or robbing some of the glory that is due his name? And we find ourselves kind of puffed up a little bit. We get a little proud. We think, hey, you know what? We're we're kind of a, a big deal sometimes, right? Uh, if you haven't heard, we did this, or we accomplished that, or, man, can you believe that I did this? And before you know it, that pride, that arrogance, it slips in, doesn't it? And the glory of God becomes dim. The potent reality of who God is becomes a bit watered down in and through our lives, does it not? So true Christian liberty it will always promote the glory of God above all. Above anything that you could accomplish, above all the accolades that you could claim for your own, a believer, a Christ follower, disciple, a covenant member is going to pursue and promote the glory of God above all things. Our actions, our thoughts, our choices covenant member that rightly understands this they're going to accurately reflect the goodness and character of God at all all times excuse me a covenant member who's living in these realities of the glory of God and is actively promoting and pursuing the glory of God they realize that this life isn't about them it's not about the American dream or the corporate ladder it's not about expanding my reach and my influence It's about dying to self so that Christ can be magnified in and through your life. It's about he must increase and I must decrease. This is the heart of a covenant member who understands a biblical position on Christian liberty. So the question is, friends, are we rightly recognizing and reflecting the magnificence, beauty, and splendor of the Lord in our life. When others have an opportunity to rub shoulders with us, do they go away saying that God is big? Do they go away saying, wow, God has done a great work? Or they say, wow, you know, that person has kind of fooled of themselves. Or, man, you know what I could have done without that conversation? You know what, I've had enough of news, sports, and weather, and politics. That's all I hear from that person when I interact with them. Are the testimony of the Lord on our lips? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who places their trust in Him. I wonder, is that the testimony of our life? Are we concerned about God's glory in and through how we live? In and through how we relate to one another in the context Of the local church so are we rightly reflecting the glory of God as it is declared and presented in the inerrant and inspired word of God so verse number 31 whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do do it all to the glory of God If you'll remember with me, just a few Sundays ago, in our first Sunday in the building, we described how the believer lives for the glory of God. And we stated that when we achieve this, and when and only when we are rightly recognizing and reflecting the magnificence, beauty, and splendor of the Lord, can the glory of God be known in and through our midst? So we, friends, have a responsibility. God has chosen to put on display His glory in and through His church. The bride of Christ. So when we live our Christian life moment by moment, recognizing and reflecting the magnificence, beauty, and splendor of the Lord, it will absolutely, friends, have an incredible impact on our lives and the ripple effect will be great in the lives of others. These are the The planting and watering that Paul talks about of evangelism. Planting a seed of gospel witness simply through how you live your life. How you reflect the glory of God. How you declare his goodness and provision in your life. Friends, this is one of the greatest aspects of our evangelism this side of eternity. It is about promoting, again, all that the Lord has done. So my way, my preference, my desire, my wisdom, my understanding. Maybe you wouldn't be so bold as to phrase those things that way, but maybe in our heart you're clinging to those things. My preferences, my desires, my wisdom, my position on this thing. I've really got a corner of truth. I've got it figured out. And so everybody else needs to know and believe and have the same standard and conviction that I do, even though scripture doesn't speak to it. In a black and white, thus says the Lord type of way. Those words and that heart, that proud disposition, these words are reflective of one that is not concerned about the glory of God. living for the glory of god it was not just the dogma or doctrine of the reformation it is god's word it is truth and by god's grace we friends we should pursue the glory of god with every fiber of our being at the conclusion of last week's service i think it was early in the week maybe monday or tuesday pastor andy sent me this this verse or passage a few verses out of philippians chapter number 1 And I thought it was an encouragement, so I've included some some thoughts on this passage in relation to the glory of God. Philippians 1. You can turn with me there. Philippians chapter number 1. We're going to look at verses 8 through 11 quickly. Philippians chapter number 1, verses 8 through 11. Paul says this, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all. So this is Paul's kind of introductory statement in prayer that he is proclaiming to the church at Philippi, uh, demonstrating his heart for this church. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. I love that phrase. Paul's prayer and heart for the church was what? What? that their love for one another, that that love may abound more and more with knowledge and all what discernment. Here you get some aspects of Christian liberty. So that, why? You may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Here it is, to the glory And praise of God. Love abounding more and more. Knowledge and discernment. And here's this phrase. Approving what is excellence. To what end? For what purpose? Is it so that I can be right? So that your voice can be heard? So that your position can be played forward? That's not Paul's heart, was it? Paul knew it wasn't about him. It wasn't about us. It's not about you. Paul says in verse number 11, what does he say? So that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Fruit of righteousness comes when the church is unified around Jesus Christ and the gospel. The glory and praise of God is what is produced when we approve what is excellent, when love is abounding more and more, when we are proactively pursuing one another for the building up of the body in love. The glory of God is what is produced. It is what is maximized. It is what is magnified in and through this church. This is the dynamic. This is the environment that it should look like when we rightly understand this topic of Christian living. Approving what is excellent is recognizing Christian liberty. We do that through discernment, being mindful and aware of where others may be at or where they're at in their walk with the Lord, whether they may be weak, whether they may be strong, or whether we may be weak and they may be strong, or vice versa. We're approving what is excellent. We're majoring on the majors, keeping the main thing the main thing. We're not getting sidetracked. We're not having detours. We're not falling off into the ditch because of this thing or this hot-button topic or this that's that's out there of of some person in our midst. No, we are unified around the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So back in our text of 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, Paul reminds his readers that even the seemingly insignificant activities of life, eating and drinking, they have value in promoting what? The glory of God. So friends, there's never an opportunity for us to check out. There's never an opportunity for us to just pop it into neutral because we're just eating, right, figuratively, or we're just drinking figuratively, so it doesn't matter. Nothing falls out of the realm of an opportunity to promote the magnificence and splendor of the Lord. Nothing. So in my eating and in my drinking or whatever I do, it should be done in light of the glory of God. <laughs> I note here that to me, this brings a bit of a gut punch into the leisure moments of life when you just have an extra 30 minutes on your, on your, on your schedule or calendar. I almost said it's calendar. That's a schedule and a calendar all together. Right? What, what about those, those few moments in life when it's just, you know, hey, you know I Just have 10, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, a few hours. Am I looking for opportunities? God, how can I redeem this moment for your glory? How can I, how can I use this moment or this time to proactively pursue one another for the building up of each other in the Lord? So maybe, Eric, instead of looking at that YouTube video, maybe I should send a text, an encouraging word to a brother. Maybe instead of, man, I hate to say it, instead of mowing the lawn at that moment, maybe I can go over to a brother's house and and have a spiritual conversation Maybe I can go over to a neighbor's house and help them with something that's going on in their life. Encourage them. Looking for opportunities to do what? Promote the glory of God above all. So friends, I want us to just take a moment to pause and consider a quick moment of application. I just... Is, is there a spirit of awareness that you've considered how your choices in the home, how your choices maybe with your spouse, with your siblings, with your friends, your co-workers, in the church, outside of the church, have you considered how your choices, as significant or insignificant as they may seem, how they rightly should reflect the glory of God. Is there not a recalibrating opportunity maybe in time management? I pray that the Lord would stir our hearts and challenge us in this reality. Living for the glory of God calls us to consider our motivation a bit, does it not? In our daily Christian living it helps us consider what is the motivation in my decision making process because if you remember verse number 24 let no one seek his own good paul said but the good of his neighbor so living in light of christian liberty or as our church covenant describes it is simply we will recognize christian liberty what is what does that mean what does it look like it means that i'm constantly Dying to myself. I'm constantly saying no to my advantage so that I can pursue the advantage in the building up of another brother or sister in Christ. So when I start getting practical about time management, about choices and actions and things that I do or do not do, it brings into light my motivation. Is my motivation the glory of God or is it my own selfish ambition? So, this whole topic, friends, of Christian liberty and evaluating how we relate to one another in the context of covenant membership, it will call out our motives. It will expose our motives for what they are. So, what is your motivation in the decisions that you make? Who does it serve? How does it help? Is it expedient? Friends, I hope as we have continued to work through this topic, I hope that the Lord is stirring your hearts. That these are real questions that God desires us to work through in the milieu of life and the seemingly insignificant moments of everyday Christian living. That God desires to redeem those moments. Our eating and our drinking, our interacting with, with others, He desires to use them for His glory. It has eternal significance, friends. So Paul's desire, what was it? Look at verse 32. Give no offense to the Jew or the Greeks or to the church of God. Paul's desire in life was that there would never be an unneeded barrier to the gospel on account of his life's choices. Give no offense. I don't want to throw up any hurdle, any road bump, any hesitation any issue with the proper presentation of the gospel on account of my life and my choices? He was always thinking about others in light of the glory of God. So, true Christian liberty will always pursue the building up of others. True Christian liberty, secondly, will always promote the glory of God. And our final observation. This morning will be this, true Christian liberty will always point others to Christ instead of self. So these are somewhat closely tied at the hip, but uh, there's some nuances that I want to bring out here. True Christian liberty will always point others to Christ instead of self. So for Paul, everything, again, at all times, was always about others, Wow, I mean, just think about that being the testimony of your life. At all times, and in every way possible, Paul's testimony, his life, was about others. Just a pouring out of himself day after day after day. Desire to just spend and be spent for the sake of others. This was was Paul's heart. He practiced Christian liberty. This wasn't necessarily a, a label or a term that was used in Scripture directly, but Paul practiced it. He practiced the heart of what we have come to know as Christian liberty. It was about others. And by God's grace, Paul desired never to seek his own advantage. Verse number 24 of chapter number 10 Thus we have verse number 33. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage. That's the bookend of verse 24 and now verse 33. Not seeking my own advantage. Paul is living out what he has declared and, and taught and, and written here to the church at Corinth. Not seeking my own advantage, but... That of many. So not a singular advantage of his own, but of many, meaning others. For what end and for what purpose? That they may be saved. Paul was committed to and believed in and accurately lived out biblical Christian liberty so that they may be saved. What the greatest testimony of the reality that Christ lives is our unity. We talked about that a few weeks ago. John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer of Christ. Jesus prays to the Father and he says, so that they may know that I am real that I came, that, I'm, that I am the son of God. Their unity around the gospel is what is evidence of the realities that Jesus Christ is true and his message of salvation is eternal. So that they may be saved. Friends, I wonder, in your living, your eating, and your drinking, your personal choices in your Christian living, do you make choices day in and day out so that others may be saved? Is the reality of the gospel and eternity on your mind? Is there an awareness that, hey, you know what? I have an opportunity even in my eating and my drinking and my daily choices to point others to the gospel and the realities of eternity. Do you have the heart that Paul modeled here to not seek his own advantage, but that of many so that others may be saved. For Paul, the milieu of life, his whole life was about promoting God's redemptive plan and work in and through his life. It was about the gospel and the salvation of souls So you see, friends, when we promote or prop up our desires and seek the advantage of ourselves, we detract from the gospel message. When we pursue our agenda over the purposes of God, we dilute and flat out misrepresent Jesus to the world. So there's a danger here. There's a warning If we allow ourselves individually, and certainly if we allow ourselves corporately as a church to go down this path of seeking our own advantage, whether it's individual or corporately, we can seek our own advantage. We can pursue a seeker friendly model of church. We can do this, we can do that, we can have all the bells and whistles, and we can draw a crowd. But guess what? We're building our own kingdom. It's wood, hay, and stubble. It's going to burn. It's going to fade away. It's not going to last. Friends, the church, the body of Christ, is about a glimpse of an eternal kingdom that is yet to come. Let us rightly reflect God's kingdom on this earth. Let us not dilute. Let us not detract. Let us not misrepresent Jesus to this world that looks on Let us not allow ourselves individually or corporately as a church, let us not allow ourselves to go down that path of pursuing our own advantage. When we pursue our own advantage, oftentimes, friends, the danger is is that we can arrive at a destination of, maybe you've heard the term, legalism. Have you heard this before? What does legalism state? Legalism states that if you shouldn't do this thing sometimes, then you should never do this thing, ever. This mindset of imposing our perspective or imposing our desires or imposing our selective interpretation on God's word, it undermines the very authority of God's word. You look through the history of Christian liberty. It actually goes all the way back about 500 years ago when we were introducing the Reformation, right? When Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis on the door. What were the dynamics that were going on there? Rome, the church was essentially establishing themselves as the only rule or authority for faith and practice. Where God's word didn't speak directly in a thus says the Lord manner, there was no room for diversity and the only path forward for unity was following what the church of Rome said was right and correct. So this was at the heart of the Reformation. There was an authority struggle so Rome was uncomfortable with this idea of the Greek the Greek word a diaphora. So this word comes from the Greek a is simply what a negation meaning not. Diaphora means differentiable, and together we have these things are not differentiable. So these are areas of Christian living that we were unable to differentiate what was right and what was wrong. And so instead of trusting the word of God and rightly relating to each other in the context of the local church and pursuing unity around the gospel, the church said, God's word is not good enough. So we're going to fill in the gaps. The church would help God's word provide clarity. And as such, what happened? Rome assumed the role and the final authority on matters that were not differentiable. Thus, the Reformation heralded from the rooftops sola scriptura. It was a recalibration away from the church of Rome as the final rule for faith and practice and recalibrating the church back to scripture alone. So Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he never envisioned this power grab away from the Word of God. Never in Paul's understanding of relationships and working through differences and pursuing unity in the gospel, did he ever see the Word of God taking a back burner to man's thoughts and ideas or positions or standards on whatever it might be. He always envisioned the body of Christ working together towards, have you heard this, Ephesians 4? Unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Ephesians 4 1. Unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You probably heard this quote before. It's largely been attributed to St. Augustine or Augustine, whatever your, some people have really strong opinions on that. Whatever, what's your. Guessing. I would disagree, but you know. We, we can work that out in Christian liberty, Sarah. We, yeah. Have you heard this quote? In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. In essentials, unity. This is the gospel. In every area of doctrine that would link into the gospel. These are essentials of the faith. We are to have 100% unity in non-essentials of daily Christian living, of decision-making for yourself, your family, in the context of the church and outside in our community, in non-essentials, we are to offer and recognize liberty. But in all things, essentials and non-essentials, we are to pursue each other how? With charity. This is the heart of the Word of God on Christian liberty. It is our prayer that when we commit to, as our covenant states, recognize Christian liberty in covenant membership, that we will live out this culture right here at Liberty Hills. So, where are the challenges? of this topic and even this series. One of the challenges is that we simply can't be exhaustive enough in our short period of time to really look at every nook and cranny and turn over every stone in regards to Christian liberty. But our prayer and our hope is that we can give enough truth and enough foundation that we can together move forward in a right understanding of God's word, its implications on our life and in the spirit of covenant membership. So I want to look at one other quick passage. I promise you I will be quick. Romans chapter number 14. I would be amiss if we did not peek at a minimum at Romans 14. As we consider this topic of Christian, uh, Christian liberty. So our third point, if you'll remember, is what? True Christian liberty will always point others to Christ instead of self. Pastor David read our our text of Romans 14, verses 1 through 13. So I'm not going to read the entire passage. But friends, I would encourage you as we go from worship this morning um, to read through this passage multiple times this week. Romans 14. Just read it and then read it again and then read it again and let the inspired word of God just speak into your heart. And I guarantee you, if you're holding on to an aspect of a standard or a position that is not unified around the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit can and will absolutely expose that. And I pray that as he does expose that, that we would be willing to lose our white knuckled grip, have an open hand and be willing to let the Lord lead in that moment. So in summary, Romans chapter number 14 Verse number 11 says this, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall confess to God. This is the chief end of all of life and certainly Christian liberty is that it all arrives at the destination of every knee bowing before the ultimate authority of God and recognizing him rightly as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So Paul finishes out this chapter of chapter 14 and verse number 23. So if you've got Romans 14 open, verse number 23, he reminds us that for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. He talks about weaker, stronger brother. He talks about a rightly relating to one another in the context of daily Christian living, Of eating and not eating, of recognizing a day in the calendar and recognizing them equally all the days of the calendar, whatever the situation might be, whatever the area of life may present itself, that we need to pursue everything through the lens of faith. So, certainly building each other up, love abounding more and more, pursuing what is excellent having discernment, all of these things layer into Christian liberty. But it all is for naught if it is not exercised through faith. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So essentially what is Paul saying? The one who eats in Romans chapter 14, don't despise your brother who doesn't. The one who abstains... Don't judge your brother who does eat meat. The one who abstains, the one who eats, they equally have a responsibility to pursue each other in love and through faith. Why? Look at verse number three of Romans 14. You see this phrase at the end of verse number three, for God has welcomed him. You see that phrase? For God has welcomed him. And friends, this is one of the biggest reality checks, I think, of Christian liberty is this. If God has welcomed him, both the one who abstains and the one who eats, they both have been welcomed into the family and fold of God. God. And if God has welcomed him, who am I? Who am I to condemn a brother? Who am I to cast judgment? The takeaway from Romans 14 is this, as the Lord welcomes, so should we. As the Lord welcomes, so should we. So friends, I wonder this morning, do we have a desire and are we able to speak as Paul did? Apologize, I just lost my place here. Are we able to speak as Paul did? In chapter 11, verse number one of 1 Corinthians 10, follow me as I follow Christ. As the Lord welcomes, so should we, never seeking our own advantage, always the advantage of many wise, so that they may be saved. Follow me, Paul said, as I follow Christ. Christ. Following Christ means we are by God's grace attempting to be like Christ. To be Christ-like, that's the very definition of the word Christian, is a what? A little Christ. So to be a follower of Christ and to tell others, hey, come along, follow me as I follow Christ, it is pointing them not to ourselves, and this super Christian status that I have arrived at, that now I am overly spiritual, so now I can say, Follow me, because I've arrived in this Christian life. No, it's follow me. Why? Because I'm attempting by God's grace to simply follow Christ and be like Him. So follow me as I follow Christ. He pointed others back to Christ. Christ Jesus modeled this, did He not? He came to this earth and he testified of this mission and this reality. That he came to do the will of the Father. He came and he did these signs, miracles, and wonders. His person and work testified that God had sent him. I wonder, is that the testimony of our life? He pointed others back to the Father. He did it through his life. How he lived. The choices that he made. Through his demeanor in the marketplace and his disposition to those that opposed him. He showed The reality of his message to seek and to save the lost. Philippians chapter number two speaks to these realities. So then if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. Do nothing through selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, Paul said, which is yours in whom? Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in likeness of man. So true Christian liberty, friends, will not point to man-made systems. They won't promote rules and boxes to be checked. True Christian liberty will point others to Jesus. After all, Jesus is the one who shook things up, did he not? He completed and redefined the law. It is this Jesus who dined with sinners. He reached out to the scandalous woman at the well. It is Jesus who healed on the Sabbath and touched the unclean. It was Jesus who models perfectly the glory of God and the milo of life. So it is Jesus that we must keep our eyes on. It, It is Jesus that we must offer to those that he is drawing to himself, planting and watering making disciples, loving others, seeking to edify and build up others all for the glory of God. Friends, this is what it looks like to make sense of Christian liberty. True Christian liberty will always pursue the building up of others. It will promote the glory of God and it will point others to Christ instead of self. Looking forward to the next week as we discuss how we put all this into practice. I won't leave you hanging on that front. We're gonna try to get very practical and specific in what it looks like to live out Christian liberty in our daily choices and interactions in the church. We're gonna talk about some biblical principles that we can follow as we look to exercise Christian liberty in the context of covenant membership. Would you join me in prayer as we close our time in the word this morning? Father God, we thank you for all that you have done, all that you will do. My prayer this morning is that you alone would be magnified, Jesus, that you would be great, that you would be big in our midst, and that it would change our hearts, change our minds, change our relationships, that it would impact every aspect of our life. And so as we just, for a couple of weeks, have had an opportunity to just kind of simmer in this idea of Christian liberty, I pray that our heart would be warmed toward one another. We would be drawn off of the bench, and we would get into the game of life in the context of the church, and that we would serve and love, and that it would abound more and more, that we would approve what is excellent. And Father, that as we desire to be unified around the gospel, we pray that you would save souls as we die to ourselves and we stop seeking our own advantage and as we point others back to a cross in an empty tomb. Father, do a work, we pray, in Jesus' name.